Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hello, I'm Alex McLaren. I'm an actor and I've worked as a communications coach since 2002. Now so much business is being conducted remotely, the ways in which we talk, present, build relationships and connect is changing. In this podcast, I want to explore all those issues and prove to you that no matter who you are, you can talk to anyone. Hello and welcome to You Can Talk to Anyone, the podcast where we open the bonnet on our communication engine. I'm Alex McLaren. And I am Tom Solinsky. And this week, we wanted to really just open the topic, because it may be that this is something we have to return to, uh, of confidence. Um, And in our coaching and training world, this is often the first thing and the last thing that people are coming to us for. Tom, um, it's a famous joke at the moment that uh, women and feminists of all stripes make, God give me the confidence of a mediocre white man. Indeed. Uh, well, here we are. Shall we talk about... <laughs> shall we, shall Who we, better than us? Well, I think it's certainly worth... Because I think that there's a lot of truth to that, but I'm interested in kind of speaking, certainly starting by tackling that from the inside. What do you think that joke is about? I think it's about imposter syndrome as much as anything else. Yes. I think that people often think about confidence as a thing that they have less of and other people have more of, Mm. almost like it's a vitamin deficiency. Yeah. Uh, And if I could have an injection of confidence, like I could take an iron supplement, then I would find things as easy as Brad seems to find things because Mm. Brad just breezes through. But Brad may or may not be experiencing that confidence himself. Brad might be feeling all the same things that you're feeling and having all the same anxieties that you are. Yeah, he just uh, behaves in a way that doesn't give that away. Mm. Uh, it's, it's interesting. I think the joke, in a way, is also tackling not just the feeling that I'm an imposter, that I shouldn't be here, but that that, that mediocre white man who seems so incredibly <laughs> confident is actually an imposter, and uh, for very good reasons. I mean, that we <laughs> there's been some spectacular leadership um, letdowns. Yes, exactly. Um, uh, it's the, the joke is also about, obviously, uh, double standards and unfairness. Yes. Yeah. And so it's both true to say that women have to try harder mm. and prove themselves more often and more comprehensively mm. in order to get the same kind of advancements that are handed out to men, but also that men are forgiven more quickly. Yeah. If you screw up, it's, oh, no one could have done anything more than you did. You tried your best. Give it another go. If women <laughs> screw up, it's, see, we shouldn't have given this job to a woman. Yeah. I'm just thinking back to my the, the atmosphere in which my, my, my sense of confidence was my own personal sense of confidence was created and wondering if there was, as a mediocre white man, I was pushed in a particular direction 
um, by those qualities. That there were maybe there were uh, that I, I, I constantly felt a need to present <laughs> a confident exterior and was not allowed to, or, or, or maybe it was less acceptable to display vulnerability or doubt or uh, ambiguities about my uh, capacity to carry out whatever task this may be. Well, a lot of people that we work with are stunned to hear mm. that we used to, at any rate, make parts of our living by walking onto a stage mm. in front of an audience without a script. Yeah. A lot of the people that we talk to would be very anxious, maybe even terrified about walking onto a stage with a script and after three weeks of rehearsals. And I think there, while there are, are still some actors who get very anxious, I think most actors have learned to deal with it in some way mm. and some never had that anxiety. But I think a lot of actors, maybe even all actors, do get that same anxiety when they go to auditions. Mm. Can you yes. think of anything more likely to trigger anxiety? Not only do you have all the same anxieties about being looked at that you do when you're performing on a stage, you are being judged in a very particular way and in a very meaningful way, in a way that's going to change, possibly, the whole trajectory of your career and, indeed, life. Absolutely. And, and there are also there are elements of that um, that situation um, which are profoundly intimate. I was recently listening to uh, Seth Rogen, the, uh, the comedy, I mean, great movie star, you'll know from loads of great stuff, but he was talking about um, in his role, not as an actor, but as a, as a director, that actually when you're meeting people for the role, you're almost, they're almost, they're not quite human props, but they, they might or might not have the qualities required for the precise story you're trying to tell. So it's, there are things that you can do nothing about, Tom, you know, you, you that, that might make you unsuitable and rejected. And you have to have, find some way of living with, with that experience of saying, look at me and being found wanting, look at me and being found wanting, um, and, and coping with it. And, and there's a sort of a, a, a sort of an emotional endurance. I think insights into that state is what many of our business clients are looking for when they ask to speak to us specifically, because they recognize that as a particularly high stakes and emotionally battering <laughs> kind of situation to be uh, accepted or rejected by. That particularly high pressure situation because that means that we are coming to their situations which may not be a kind of a, a, an audition in which <laughs> they're pitching for a role and uh, and trying to prove that they can carry out this task particularly well it may just be a job interview or it may be a pitch for business and they which they're representing a product it's not themselves that they're selling in the same way or even just speaking up in a meeting that's yeah. which comes up in my workshops quite frequently well i think very often that's the point at which you are inviting attention you're mm. basically it's like you're gambling you're basically saying here i have something to say um, and again and again particularly within rank structure organizations people to say it's about speaking up in front of senior people uh, i don't feel confident doing it i don't feel uh, i guess they don't feel safe imagine this listeners i'm doing the, the inverted commas with my fingers <laughs> um uh, they want to bring value to the interaction and <laughs> yes. uh, and they don't think of their input as having value it doesn't feel valuable until it's been said and then other people will decide whether it was valuable yes or not. other people will endorse it mm. hooray or they'll criticize or even condemn it and it's that yes. humiliation which we fear but actually those 
those really humiliating interactions in the workplace are vanishingly rare. They mm. do happen. There are definitely some toxic workplaces out there, no question, but they don't happen nearly as often as people fear they're going to. They don't. And, 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 and also, there's a question here about, uh, about per permission to speak up um, and that sense that, uh, uh, that I don't want to be out of speaking out of place. Well, and, and not without good reason. Uh, a performative, swaggering confidence can be very off-putting. Do you remember the improvisation guru Keith Johnston talking about the seesaw which beginner improvisers often find themselves on? When they do their first show, they feel a bit overwhelmed, a bit overawed. They come out in front of the audience looking very humble, eager to please, and the audience loves them, and they can do no wrong, and they have a wonderful show. Mm -hmm. So they come out for their second show, brimming with confidence, thinking, well, I've, I'm obviously just super talented at this, and this is going to be another amazing show. They swagger out, and the audience goes, oh, you think of the big I am, do you? All right, prove it, fold their arms, and now they can't do a thing right. Yes, there's, there's this. Uh, there, there is that that that, that uh, success failure success yeah. failure process that you, you have to work. You yo-yo back and forth between those yeah. two states sometimes for quite a long time before things settle down. Indeed, and in fact, the sort of the the uh, having a patience um, in engaging with a person can affect how we then read the choices they're making in terms of confidence. It's funny. Some of our work is about sort of working the system through physicality, and about the space we take up. And, uh, and I'm sure you remember. It was a while ago now, and listeners, some of you will remember this. There was a period when clearly someone in the government was coaching. The Chancellor of the Exchequer, who at the time was George Osborne, uh, I think the Home Secretary, who at the time was Theresa May, um, to to basically stand with their feet about three feet apart. So it, it was a kind of a, a version of some of the high status advice that I would sometimes give in some situations to people in order to to meet the expectation and to satisfy and relax an audience. Um, that people feel comfortable taking up space, but they were going far too far with it. So it looked like Henry VIII. Um, and no, that I have, I sense have heard of faking is, uh, is very worrying, I think, for many people, the fear that they might be caught. I have heard a story, and this, this, I think if this is true, it happened because these ideas that government ministers were being coached in this way was doing the rounds, uh, that a particularly malicious paparazzo managed to snap a shot of George Osborne as he was shifting his weight from one foot to the other, yes. making his splay-footed appearance much more exaggerated than it would have been <laughs> if you'd actually been there. It's true. It's much easier to, to make kind of consistent judgments about static images yeah. than it is from people who are moving. In fact, I, I refer you back to uh, when we, Tom and I were talking about a painting um, a little while ago by Velasquez. Again, it's sort of a, a canvas. Every single detail can be decided to tell a particular story about confidence, comfort, power in a way that, uh, that, that behavior is much more flexible, much more, um, much more reactive and much more mobile. But it is true, the, give me the confidence of a mediocre white man, what that conceals is that there are different kinds of confident behavior that will tend to suit different people. Mm. And we wouldn't have enjoyed the success, which I venture to suggest that we have, if we'd been applying exactly the same tactics every person and trying to sort of stamp out identical confident robots. What I'm trying to do when I coach people is look for what's really good about you, what do other people respond to, and try and get them to be more able to turn that on when it's needed. Mm. It's funny, the, that, that, I was thinking about where the word comes from, and it goes back to the same roots as fidelity. And it, so it's about faith 
It's about trust. Mm. I have confidence in you, Tom, because you've demonstrated yourself worthy of my trust. If I have self-confidence, I'm basically I'm trusting my own judgment or hunches or um, my own self-belief. Uh, and so th this, the, the idea that we might change our confidence in one way or another is, is I think, is a fear that actually we're being inauthentic or untrue to reality, despite the fact that there are many circumstances in which um, our responsibilities require us, I think, to do not the thing that works for us, but the, the thing that works for others. But it's that support from other people that makes the apparently very challenging thing that we used to do for fun, mm. making up stuff on a stage in front of an audience, makes it easy. Mm. Because if I'm on stage with you, I trust that you've got my back. And I yep. trust that top of your agenda, not near the top of your agenda, but top of your agenda yep. is making me look make, good. Make Tom look like a genius, which yeah. isn't, isn't difficult. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. So there are really three different things which we all give the same label confidence to. And I think part of the reason that people struggle with this is that they mix all three of them up. Mm. And they think they're all versions of the same thing. But I think they're actually very, very different. So I would say that when you're talking about confidence, you might be talking about what it feels like. Mm -hmm. And normally that comes because you have some past experience to draw on. You've done things like this successfully in the past. I was reading about writers the other day, sitting down. It's like writing is agony, but having written is brilliant. Yes, so exactly. it's, it's the feeling you get afterwards, not, <laughs> yes. not during whatever this uh, sort of confidence sapping ordeal is that you're facing. Then the second thing is confident behavior. What does it look like? What is it that we see in other people and wish we had more of ourselves? And that's the trap because we see somebody behaving in a confident way and we assume, therefore, they must be feeling the things that we feel when we feel confident. But those are two different things. One is internal and one is external. I vividly remember um, in when we were running workshops, it was in a big consultancy and, uh, and we, we'd made it very open to people at very different levels of their careers. So there were people who were basically graduate new hires. And then there were uh, men and women in their 50s. Um, and as the conversation sort of developed and as the work continued and people realized what we were tackling, the senior people would begin to open up yeah. about not how they seem, 
about how they feel. Um, because the juniors would say, well, you know, it's obviously it's easy for you. And they would literally, they would make eye contact with each other, these these guys in the 50s, and they'd, they'd laugh and they'd say, it really isn't. And and they would talk about the the responsibility they bear, that we aren't going to panic and we aren't going to contribute to panic when we're under pressure. So our job is to simply know that we're going to survive this and behave as if we know that. But we don't actually know it, not, not in any individual case. The odds are good <laughs> because yes. we've got this far. I always think this is one reason why old people actually don't just seem more relaxed, but they often are in that they, uh, they, they, they thought they had, yeah, they had 40 years of dread ahead of them. Now they have 40 years of dread behind them. <laughs> yes. um, and uh, so they're kind of, they, they know it's going to work. But yeah, that, that, that conversation between people who knew they were pretending um, that they were totally in charge, but were doing it for good reasons and felt secure in their choices in the in the case of the older people and the astonishment of the younger people that that was the case once they peeled back the curtain. That was really clear. So there's the confidence that can be felt. Mm-hmm. There's the confidence that can be seen. And then there's the confidence that can be given. I can express to you in, in ways both explicit and implicit, I've got faith in you, I've got confidence in you. And if you have a lot of people doing that at once, it feels fantastic. Yes, this is interesting because you you can build a, a pattern um, in which people recognize these are your qualities and they have expectations of you. And so they, they aren't looking at you with doubt in their eyes. Um, but uh, the, the, there is a sense that we have to earn that, I think, sometimes, whereas actually it's not just my job that we, we can actually we can give that to others um, and we can make that part of our job um, uh, as well as uh, waiting for them to impress us we can say I know you're going to be good at this yeah um, and, and this is particularly you see this um, I'm, you know when you're when you're when you're heading into a situation where you as a team I think everybody instinctively does this when they're going into say a pitch or a performance of some kind is that they gather mm. off stage and they smile and they thumbs up each other and they pat each other and they say, we've got your back. This is how a good team functions. Is they basically say, I know you're going to be brilliant. Um, and, uh, and what that does is that uh, it creates a sense that we're not in this alone. Um, and that also and it gives some of that permission, I think, we have to, uh, to, to reach out towards the people we have to inspire with confidence um, and show them that we've got those qualities that they need because I know that other people are with me and it's not just me secretly pretending that I'm totally in control of the future. Instead, it's a whole lot of us knowing that we're working on this together. There's a sort of an endowment uh, of confidence that happens there. Yeah, and I think once you understand that kind of taxonomy, it's much easier for you to start to zero in on, well, what is the thing that I need to fix? Is the problem... I'm, I'm racked with anxiety, in which case I can do some introspection, try and figure out where's that anxiety coming from. Am I worried about things that I have every right to be worried about? Am I worrying about things that have a very small percentage chance of happening? And if they do happen, they wouldn't be that bad. And you could do that internal work. Is the problem that people don't see you as confident? Mm. In which case you have to learn what, do, what does the confident version of you do? And can you learn to replicate that behavior on command. Again, not what someone else does when they're confident. What do you do when you're confident? And then the hardest one, uh, what do you do if you're surrounded by people who don't trust you? Well, that's very difficult. Uh, But what you can start doing at the very least is being part of someone else's cheer squad. Uh, You can at least start to show other people that you have confidence and faith in them and hope that the apparently very negative and sour atmosphere that you're in 
is going to improve over time. I think um, it, what you're saying about other people not having confidence in it, I think that's really at the heart of the sort of that, that, that deep fear that people have, or possibly even at the heart of the problem that sometimes we're being asked to solve. Here is someone who isn't inspiring confidence in their colleagues. Um, what can they do about it? In some cases, it's, it's because they have screwed up. Mm. I mean, if you're if you're in a situation where you've 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 failed to carry out uh, your your job, or you've you've failed to keep the sort of promise that you're making in your professional world, that's a real knock to people's confidence that has to be come back from. It's worth thinking that when the stakes are very very high, this is hugely significant. So for listeners who aren't in the sort of performing business, there are very very famous actors who have absolutely collapsed under the pressure of what they were asking an audience to believe in them. Most famously, um, Daniel Day-Lewis, who um, you'll all be familiar with his amazing Oscar-winning film performances, but famously once um, he was playing the lead role. He was playing Hamlet at the National Theatre. I mean, in terms of of the UK, it was in the 80s. Um, You you couldn't ask for a more high-profile place to put yourself and to be more exposed in front of an audience. Um, And he had a breakdown halfway through the run and really never ever returned to it. His part was taken over by his understudy. Um, a role which is always, by the way, confidence-inducing because as soon as you walk <laughs> on stage, people go, oh, how wonderful. <laughs> They're wearing the costume. They haven't got a script. Um, and so this kind of relates to what Tom was saying about your first performance rather than your second performance. You know, you got people are very, very open to whatever you might do. Um, but he spent, he, he's never really returned to, to stage performance. He's, he's actually had to go and choose another space in which to become much more comfortable, much easier with the vulnerability ability and intimacy, which is a mark of his performances. So, I mean, that might feel like um, uh, a a failure in one field, but look at how successful he has been in a second field, that of film acting. That's really intriguing. It's not the only solution. Um, There was, uh, again, a very high profile, you'll know Ian Holm, uh, the actor who, who probably most famous on film for playing Bilbo Baggins, but he's in many other great, great movies, especially um, Chariots of Fire, in which he plays the trainer. Again, the pressure of a stage performance in a high-profile leading role. He was playing uh, the lead in uh, The Iceman Cometh by Eugene O'Neill. Very, very long, like huge amounts of lines to learn. Very difficult to sort of say, I'm going to do this every night. Again, cracked up in the middle of the performance. I think he stumbled on for a few more performances before the production closed, but then he never returned to the stage for many years. But he finally did. Um, He he found a a situation in which he felt he wanted to experiment. It was a smaller theater. It was an exciting new play. So he wasn't, uh, he wasn't, letting his audience down in terms of expectations. Yeah, well, he, also he wasn't being judged against past performances. No, there was a big gap. Yes, exactly. No, Again, I mean, other people, oh, yes, against, other, yes. Oh, he wasn't being judged against other people who previously played <laughs> yes, the part. Previous Hamlets in yeah. the Daniel Day-Lewis model. Absolutely yes. not. So yeah, new play by uh, by Harold Pinter and had an utterly wonderful time. It was a happy company, a happy performance. And then he returned. And a few years later, I saw him play King Lear, which is like a just a monumentally kind of emotionally charged role. Again, you couldn't ask for higher stakes, again, at the National Theatre, slightly smaller theatre. Um, but yeah, found his way back. For me, that's really interesting because it involved a, a huge amount of real honesty and also forgiveness. Who's going to forgive mm. Daniel Day-Lewis if he won't forgive himself? Yeah. Who's going to forgive Ian Holm if he won't forgive himself? Um, and uh, it's a it's a mark of the 
I think the, the the tenderness of the later performances I saw of his that I felt like no this is a man who who has come back from something um, and is still able to be open to that conversation between him and an audience and I think that is related to the kind of the trust that we're talking about um, at the heart of confidence it was a good faith deal he was making with us when he invited us to buy tickets for his later performances but I wouldn't say that forgiving others is not valuable. Uh, in fact, I would say if you are in a more senior position, maybe if you are someone to whom this sort of performative confidence has always come relatively easily, mm -hmm. if you are one of the mediocre white men we're <laughs> slightly you know, taking the mickey out of, mm. then if somebody in your team has screwed up, but you think, you genuinely think that there is potential there and that they would benefit from another go, mm. then you need to have that open conversation with them but you need to impress upon them that you're giving them another go, not because you feel you ought to, but because you want to mm. and because you are convinced that they will learn the lessons of these mistakes and they won't repeat them. One of the, in fact, one of the, one of the, the maybe it relates to this center of the question we were asking at the beginning about the mediocre white men model is that anyone listening to this will know that there are people within their team whose competence is extremely high and yet uh, feel that there's, there's in, in a sense, some of that competence is being wasted because it isn't being put out there because of some kind of confidence problem. Um, and uh, so attending to sort of building a safe space for other people to feel like they can step forward, that they can speak up in those senior meetings, that they can uh, step, step into the spotlight and take on that attention giving them the feeling that actually they do have the resources to make a bet on themselves. Um, creating that atmosphere should be the mission of everybody, regardless of whether you are talking about your peers, um, your, the people you work for, or the people who work for you. I mean, we're always welcoming people who are sent to us, go on, let's do, do some work on confidence with these individuals. But, um, but that in itself doesn't inspire confidence. No, it, it doesn't. And, and, and certainly the, the creating a culture of supporting each other um, is what makes it safe for people to feel that they can have another go. We'd be really interested to hear if you have any positions on this. I'm, I, I very much want this to be the first of a, a number of uh, conversations we have about yeah, the question. We've only scratched the surface. Um, and, and I'm particularly interested if people feel like the model of confidence that might have brought up the, uh, the, the mediocre white man, um, I joke, is, uh, is, is different or broken or changing. I'm, and I'm interested in the point of view who don't fit those tags like Tom and I. Uh, so please do get in touch with us. Um, if you're interested in us, come along to work with your people to tackle some of these issues, please drop us a line at alex at the hyphen spontaneity hyphen shop.com. Or Tom at the hyphen spontaneity hyphen shop.com. Or you can hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Tom Selinski. Or you can also try at spontaneity shop. If you're absolutely desperate, you can link me in um, and uh, <laughs> I will confidently get back to you. Um, thank you very much for listening to us and goodbye. You have been listening to You Can Talk to Anyone with Alex McLaren and Tom Solinsky. The producer for The Spontaneity Shop was Tom Solinsky. You Can Talk to Anyone is distributed exclusively by Acast.